Hello and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm your host, Carol Iscaros. As you know, here on the program, we are going through the women of the Bible, and we are going through the main women of the Bible in order, beginning with Eve and working all the way through the Old Testament, and ultimately we will go through the New Testament, and we'll be sprinkling throughout that some Lanyap additions. But at the beginning of every program, I like to open with a brief biography of a contemporary woman of the Bible, a woman who lived and illustrates the characteristics of the women that we will be studying, or serves as a contrast, of a literary foil, if you will, of the woman that we will be studying. And so uh, today, I thought I'd begin this way. I have often noted that one of the hardest groups of people to reach with the gospel are religious people. If you think about it, who did Jesus have the most conflict with? Who did he have the harshest words for? It was the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the the scribes, the religious people of his day, were the ones that he used to call whitewashed tombs and whited sepulchers, right? He used to really get on their case, religious people. Ultimately, people who have grown up in church that might think that they are good enough, that they know enough, and they rely on their own good works— and that that's sufficient for them to go to heaven, that's really the hard part of things, because it is not our good works, let's be clear, that gets us into heaven. It's by faith through grace that we go to heaven. It's that that gets us there. Ephesians is very clear on this subject, but that's precisely the situation that is facing Bertha Smith, the contemporary woman of the Bible that we're studying today. Bertha was a missionary to China in the mid to the early to mid 1900s, and she was part of the great revivals that spread throughout China at that time. And if you recall me sharing some of the stories of this period when I talked to you all about Marie Monson some months ago. Bertha ministered to many what they called rice bowl Christians. Yes, they were called rice bowl Christians. These were Chinese believers who made sort of a religious confession, right? A profession of faith in Christ, but really what they were hoping for was a handout of some form of food in a rice bowl, if you will. They were hoping for a handout, wanting some sort of a job from the missionaries, but their real Christian walk was less sincere, right? It was more of a superficial situation, and she was really trying to reach these people, Bertha, uh, serving in China, saw God do some great works by His Spirit during the Shantung revivals of 1927, especially among these rice bowl Christians. And I want to share two stories in particular from her life. One was when a cook came to her and said he was so keenly aware of his sins. He could find no peace or rest, and he wanted to confess the untrue and unkind things that he had said about her behind her back. He really just wanted to confess that he had been gossiping and very cruel to her behind her back. Miss Bertha said what he really needed to do was go to others and tell them that the things that he had said about her were not true, which he did. Imagine that. 
when you have to go and just say, look, I said some really unkind things about so-and-so and and own up to the junk that you say, right? He had also taken some money that was not his to take. So he agreed to work without wages until he made up for the money he stole. Listen, Bertha asked this cook to do hard things, and he did the hard things. These were the fruits of repentance. See, saying you repent, but then there is no fruit of repentance, makes the repentance somewhat spurious looking, right? But he actually had fruit of repentance. And she said that in doing all of this, she saw the man's countenance, his face really changed permanently. There was such a relief on him. The second story I want to share is a change in a person named Mr. Chow. He was an evangelist, if you would believe it. Yes, an evangelist started to worry about his own salvation. So he came to her and he talked to her about it. And as he was, you know, talking, 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 she cut to the chase. She asked him, the evangelist, now hear me on this. She said to him, what are you trusting in for your salvation, Mr. Chow? And he immediately answered and said, you need not tell me that after I have walked for 25 years all over this country telling people about the Savior, that the Lord is going to turn me away from heaven's gate. You know, he was kind of like miffed that she was basically telling him, what are you relying on for your salvation? To which she immediately replied to him, if that is what you're trusting in, you most certainly will be turned away. In other words, if you're relying on the fact that you are an evangelist and you've done good works for the Lord and you've gone everywhere telling people about Jesus and that's what you think is going to get you into heaven, you most certainly are going to be turned away. It's the gospel and the gospel alone. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, period, full stop, that gets us into heaven. Let's be abundantly clear about that. And my beloved listeners, pause on this story. If you have never received Christ as Savior, if there was never a moment in your life where you said, Lord, I humble myself and I receive you as Lord and Savior, I know it is the blood of Jesus Christ that covers me from my sin, I invite you to do that right now, even as I am speaking. You can do it driving your car, taking care of your kids, exercising. Whenever you are listening to the program, you can do it wherever you are. And back to Bertha's story. Listen, she never hesitated to tell the bare truth. And that evangelist gave his life to Christ alone for salvation in that moment, understanding that works alone never save. See, Spiritual awakenings always begin with a consciousness of the holiness of God and human sinfulness. And from that, confession and restitution follows, climaxed by this joy in the life of a believer. And the connection here is this. Bertha did not shy away from revealing sin when it was necessary. She didn't shy away from necessary confrontation. And in doing so, she opened the way not to sorrow, but to joy. This is the key point. She spoke truth, and in doing, it wasn't to lead to sorrow, but to joy. And that's the story of Bathsheba today, a story that reveals sin, ultimately not for sorrow, but for joy, even though there's sorrow woven in the tale throughout. 
So the story of David and Bathsheba is probably one of the most famous stories of the Old Testament. I probably don't even need to recap it, but I will in case you are not familiar. It begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You are familiar with the story, I'm sure. It was springtime, which was the time of war. And as king, David should have gone to war. Instead, he decides to take a little siesta and he stays back. He's on the roof of his palace and he decides to hang there. And Bathsheba is bathing on the roof of her home, which is obviously lower than the roof of his palace. And he sees her bathing on the roof. So he sends for Bathsheba. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. And to cover the sin, he calls for her husband, Uriah the Hittite, to be sent from the front lines of battle where he's doing what's right so he can come home and sleep with his wife. And hopefully then he could just cover the conception of his sin, saying that, oh, you know, she's just having a baby with her husband. But Uriah the Hittite's too honorable for that. He's like, I'm not going to go home and enjoy life with my wife while all those men are in battle at war, he won't sleep with his wife. He's too honorable for that. So what does David do? He devises yet another evil, wicked plan, and he sends Uriah the Hittite to the front lines. He basically puts him on the front lines, has everybody else step back, knowing that Uriah is going to end up dying. And that's actually what happens. Uriah dies in battle, and David then goes and takes Bathsheba as his wife. Okay? It's horrific. Can we just like pause on this? We are ultimately going to do a study here on Rinse and Repeat about lessons from the life of David. And we are going to delve into this in some depth. Okay. So there will come a time where we're going to explore all the great lessons we can learn from David's mistakes. But this whole thing is pretty horrific. But a few key things I want us to consider and learn from this chapter, okay? First, some people do want to lay blame for this situation with Bathsheba. I want to address this controversy at the outset, okay? Some people in things I have read want to blame Bathsheba as well as David here. They are saying that she was a seductress. She shouldn't have been bathing there on her roof. She was trying to kind of seduce him, which is not really what the text is saying. Okay. I think there is a reasonable expectation of privacy on a roof as opposed to her having tried to seduce him in a street somewhere as her trying to call out to him and get his attention. Also, this was apparently supposed to be tied to the ritual purification after her menstrual cycle. So she appeared to have been obeying the law here as an FYI. And there are also several reasons why the commentators note that this is not primarily Bathsheba's fault here. Number one, she could not say no to the king. It wasn't really an option for a woman to say no. He was abusing his power. Joseph running from Potiphar's wife's advances was much more a likely option for Joseph than it would have been for Bathsheba as a woman in this situation. Another reason why the commentators aren't blaming Bathsheba for this is that Nathan is clearly painting her as the victim in his allegory that he speaks to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when he's really telling the story and he's saying to him, you are the man. 
Okay. So Nathan is really putting the blame at the feet of David. And then when the chapter says in verse 27, that the thing that David did displeased the Lord, God is clearly displeased with David primarily here. God is putting this at David's feet. If the text wanted to say that the thing that Bathsheba did displeased the Lord, it would have said the thing that David and Bathsheba did displeased the Lord. We're going to study Jezebel next week, and you'll see that God does not shy away from talking about the spirit of Jezebel and what Jezebel and her idolatry does. So this is not a passage that is blaming Bathsheba. I want to put some of that controversy to rest, and I want us to read the scriptures with what they're actually saying, okay? So let's not put the blame, if you read that somewhere or you've heard that, that's not actually what the text is saying. The second thing I want to point out is what can be done when people use us or abuse us and Ultimately, in this case, it was King David who wanted, he lusted after Bathsheba, and he used her sexually. There are various passages about this sort of thing in the scripture. And I and pause. Can we just pause on this? I am really grateful to God and the Word of God that it deals with real-life stuff. The Word of God talks about lust. It talks about rape. It talks about real-life situations. It doesn't gloss over the hard stuff. I want to be clear about that. And we're actually going to talk about it right now. Look, Jesus was not a pushover. He was kind, gentle, and lowly, and yet he did not allow others to take advantage of him. Rather, he modeled godly servanthood and the appropriate setting of boundaries. See, we can follow his example and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as we seek to do the same things that he did. And I feel like the key to this, the key to this is having wise discernment. How can we discern how to serve people fully and yet not be taken advantage of in any way, be it sexually, physically, emotionally, financially? How is it that we can serve people fully and not be taken advantage of? Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpent and harmless as doves. That's the words of Jesus, because he was that. He had the discernment to tell when someone was doing wrong, And he was also harmless and gentle when that was what was needed. He was gentle with a woman at the well or a woman caught in the act of adultery, but he took out that whip, created the whip, and he was breaking down tables at the money changers in the temple who were turning the house of God into a den of thieves. Jesus was no pushover. We have to know how to ask God for the guidance of the Holy Spirit to know when and how to help people without being used. I understand how hard this is. I live in this zip code. I am a doer. I am a giver. I am an includer, and I have been taken advantage of. I have had friends that I thought were real friends who really just wanted to kind of use me. And then when I put up a boundary, they were sort of gone. That's a journey for me too, learning and asking God how to have 
healthy boundaries. But another lesson here, just from this main section, is Bathsheba does what's right in this passage. In verse 5, she makes a simple statement to David in this chapter. She says, I am with child. She goes to David and she basically states the facts. This is what has happened. I am with child. And I want to make a very important point here. Please hear me, my beloved listener. When someone wrongs us, it is important to know that their shame is not our shame. If someone has violated you, you are to get godly counsel and take appropriate steps to get the light to shine into that darkness and get the help you need and take appropriate steps and appropriate action. Hiding their sin often compounds the problem, especially when they insist that you tell no one and you keep it hidden. I exhort you to bring sin into the light, just like Bathsheba says. She simply says, I am with child. She doesn't try to cover it. She doesn't try to hide it. She states the facts. And as we see in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan did not hide the sin And neither does Bathsheba. They both are allowing it to come into the light for God to deal with it. Ask God for the right time and place, but don't hide out in fear. God will judge. You can rest assured of that. Look, 1 Peter 1.17 puts it this way. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So call out on the Father. You know He's faithful to judge each one according to their works. God's going to help you. Romans 13, 3 and 4 says it this way. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For He is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. In other words, when stuff that is done to you is illegal, the authorities are there and people should fear the authorities. They should not force you into silence because the authorities are there to correct such behavior. That's what the scripture is saying in Romans 13. I know how hard these things are. I am not trying to oversimplify, but if I told you the young people I've spoken to that have kept silence and the damage it has done over decades and what has happened as a result of things that have stayed in the darkness. Bring them into the light as Bathsheba and Nathan have done. Now, for the next part of this incredible story. In 2 Samuel 12, Nathan approaches David, and he confronts him about his sin. And sadly, later, the child that's conceived dies. And this is a thing that we must never forget. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Bathsheba here is experiencing the consequences of David's sin, death. Her pregnancy here ends in death, Uriah's death. 
all of that sin was not her choice or entirely her fault, really, in any way. And yet she's bearing the consequences of that sin. But notice what's happening here. We can choose to dwell in that place. We can choose to get incredibly bitter and stuck. We have spoken about this so many times. Remember, we looked at the difference between Michael and Abigail or Michael and Naomi, and Bathsheba really could have focused on that. She could have been, David, look, you caused me to sin. David, look, you killed my husband. David, look, you caused my baby to die. But rather, she doesn't. She walks on with the Lord, and she sees God move. And in 2 Samuel 12, verse 24, we see this. Listen, 2 Samuel 12, 24 says this, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and she called his name Solomon. And now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. So look at that. God is working all that pain together for good. And we actually see that Solomon is actually the fourth child of David and Bathsheba together. If you want to see that, that's in 1 Chronicles 3, 5. Solomon is actually their fourth child together. But we see that through this woman, the Son of God is ultimately going to come through Bathsheba. I want you to catch that. The Son of God doesn't come through the amazing, wise, and discerning Abigail that we've studied last time. Jesus comes through Bathsheba. Matthew 1, 6 said, And Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. I want you to catch that. Look at the beauty that comes from these ashes. A sinful story. There was death. There was pain. There was brokenness. And look at the beauty that comes out of it. My beloved listeners, there is so much brokenness in the life of yours truly. There's brokenness in my physical body and there's brokenness in my relationships. Don't think just because I have this passion for the Word of God and I laugh with you here on the program and those of you who know me personally, I have a lot of joy. Thank you, Jesus. But there is so much brokenness. There is so much hurt and pain, but from that comes beauty There is beauty that is born from these ashes. And look, there is beauty born from the ashes of Bathsheba's life. Messiah comes from her line. And I want to exhort you, if you hear nothing else that I say on the program today, what ashes are you in the middle of? Is it a broken marriage? Is it a broken relationship with your kids or your extended family? Is it a financial situation you see no way out of? I want you to take heart. In the master's hands, there is opportunity for beauty to be born from those ashes. And look, this is an important part because Solomon becoming king and him ultimately being the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ almost didn't happen. And this is an important part of Bathsheba's story that's far less known. 
Solomon almost didn't become king. And I think there's some good lessons from Bathsheba's life that I don't want you to miss here. In 1 Kings 1, 11 through 31, Adonijah, another son of David, has a strong claim to the throne, okay? David is dying here. Adonijah has the support of Joab, the commander of David's army, and one of the priests, Abiathar, okay? So Adonijah holds this coronation celebration. He takes the throne, and he does so without inviting Solomon, Nathan, and Bathsheba, of course, right? So Nathan runs to Bathsheba and he says, you better go to David before he dies and remind him that Solomon is the one that he said is going to be king. He said, you had better go because your life and Solomon's life are at great risk if Adonijah becomes king. So Bathsheba here shows incredible wisdom and obedience, and she goes and advocates for Solomon with David. See, without her, Solomon may never have become king. She secures his place and potentially saves his life and hers. And I want us to note her character here for a moment. This woman has some serious boldness. She goes running to David with some serious boldness. Do we approach God the same way? Or are we sort of blasé and passive about our approach to God? Sleepy in our prayers, if our prayers exist at all. (laughs) You know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep as we're snoozing in our beds. No, prayer is war. Get your armor on. Let's go. Let's go. Do we approach the throne with Bathsheba-style boldness? Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. And look at the wisdom that she has. She approaches David wisely and carefully, reminding him of his promises but that she and his son could actually die if he doesn't reiterate that his commitment is for Solomon to become king. She has wisdom here. Take this down. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Bathsheba is wisely receiving Nathan's counsel, not just for ambition's sake, I believe that God is showing her by his spirit that it's time. This is the line. This is my will for the future of Messiah. There's wisdom here. And Proverbs 19, 20 through 21 puts it this way. Listen to counsel and receive instruction. Young people who are listening to the podcast, listen up. Okay, I want you to listen up. There's a message in our culture today that says that you should buck authority. You should buck any counsel. You know better. This next generation, you guys got this. Follow your heart. The word of God says, listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. That's Proverbs 19, 20 through 21. Get advice. Listen to parents and elders and pastors. Get counsel. You don't always know the best way. Bathsheba was wise to do so. But I want to complete the story with something that you probably really don't know about Bathsheba. This is very interesting. And I actually learned something totally new in studying this. It was fascinating for me. 
In 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, we're seeing that Adonijah, his plot obviously for the throne is foiled, and he comes and he asks something of Bathsheba. And it seems like it shouldn't be a big deal, but it is. He asks if Abishag, who is David's concubine, can be given to him as wife. Now, Abishag is still a virgin. David has never slept with her, but she's part of his harem, okay? But by asking for her, Adonijah is still really trying to take Solomon's throne. See, Absalom had done a similar thing long before. He took David's harem in 2 Samuel 16 in a coup attempt. And the Persians used to do similar things. They would take the wives and attempt to say, okay, I took your wives, therefore I'm taking the throne. So in asking for Abishag, Adonijah is still trying to take the throne. And he's saying, listen, can you just ask Solomon if I could please have Abishag? Bathsheba, could you please just ask him? And Bathsheba does it. She actually goes and advocates for Adonijah to Abishag. But the amazing thing in verse 20, she kind of does it sort of tongue in cheek to Solomon. She says to him, I desire one small petition of you. She knows it's not a small petition. She's very well aware. She's clearly being sarcastic here. And that's what most of the commentators are saying. She knows it's a big deal. She knows what she's doing. She's guaranteeing that Adonijah is going to get dead by making this request. Again, she doesn't cover the ploy. She doesn't say, Adonijah, don't do this. She goes and she makes it plain, just like she says to David, I am with child. She goes and she she doesn't cover for Adonijah. She's like, Adonijah wants this concubine. She brings the plans into the light. Adonijah pays the price. Listen to me. Ephesians 5 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Please listen to me. It says, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. My beloved listeners, we are always covering junk up. Again, if you heard nothing else I say, Bathsheba didn't cover junk up, not for Adonijah, not for David. She brought things into the light. She didn't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. She exposed them. Ask God for discernment on when to speak and when not to, but be sure to walk in the light as He is in the light that you can have fellowship with one another. Learn these incredibly rich lessons from the life of Bathsheba. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat. We hope that you have enjoyed the podcast. In case this is the first time you're joining me, I want to make sure you know what the heart of Rinse and Repeat is all about. This program is designed to give women and young people the very meat of the Word of God, really, but with Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 at the forefront. And that passage has older women admonishing younger women to love their husbands and their children and their homes and to seek purity really at the heart of everything that they do. That is the distinctive 
of this program. You'll hear me sharing a lot of personal examples and a lot of life examples along those lines. If you're a man that's listening and you're being blessed by what you're hearing, praise the Lord, even as I'm primarily teaching women and young people. You can catch Rinse and Repeat the podcast anywhere podcasts are purveyed. Uh, That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM. You can check out the podcast also through my website at caroliscaros.com. That's carol, E-S-K-A-R-O-S.com. Please visit my website and let me know that you're listening to the podcast. Let me know how it's affecting you. I would love to hear more from you. Some of the feedback that we're getting to the program is incredibly exciting. We're also very, very excited to learn about our listeners in other countries, including, as I've said, in France and South Africa. Very, very exciting news. And there on my website, you can read our Bible reading plans on the YouVersion Bible app. You can learn about upcoming events and speaking engagements and much more. Again, that website is caroliscaros.com. And please be sure to tune in next time for our next episode of Rinse and Repeat. Repeat.